I'm glad you've joined us today on this wisdom journey through the Bible. Stephen Davey is your teacher for this daily time in God's Word. Stephen is the president of Wisdom International, the ministry that produces these lessons. Today's lesson is called, Whose Side Are You On? Jesus' life and teaching demand a decision about who He is. Do you accept Him as Lord and Savior, or do you foolishly try to explain away the things He taught? Now, as we set sail on our wisdom journey here in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is about six months away from his crucifixion. And while his ministry continues in Judea, he's slowly making his way for a final appearance in Jerusalem. Now, he's fully aware that the Jewish leaders are watching his every move. They're they're hoping, they're they're longing for a chance to, to end this threat to their own power uh, that they perceive him to be. Verse 14 tells us he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Well, they're marveling because they know that only God has the power to command the demonic world, and Jesus isn't using any, you know, special incense. He isn't, you know, speaking little incantations like all the rabbis did in his day. Now, instead of marveling and rejoicing, they are marveling And they're infuriated. Now, frankly, they're being shown up here by the authentic divine power of Jesus. You know, it's one thing to argue with Jesus' teaching, and they're still trying to figure out how to do that. But it's another thing entirely to ignore his power or or try to. So Jesus' opponents are left with only one option. Here it is in verse 15. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. See, they can't deny what he's doing, so they attempt to discredit how he's doing it. And they say, well, it's by Beelzebul or, or Satan's power and not God's. Beelzebul uh, means Lord of the house. It's a reference to Satan's dark kingdom power. Now, verse 16 tells us that there are some people in this crowd who begin demanding that Jesus give them a sign from heaven. In other words, you know, Jesus, why don't you just go and prove that you're not in league with hell or the devil? Give us a sign from heaven. Now, this, of course, is utterly ridiculous because he's just given them a sign from heaven. He just cast out a demon from hell. As one author stated, well, now they want signs uh, to prove that those signs were signs. How ridiculous. Well, instead of giving them yet another sign, Jesus He's going to make them think. So he he enrolls them here in a crash course in uh, logic, as if to say, you know, why don't you use your minds? Put your thinking cap on here for a moment. He says this to them in verse 17. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? In other words, Jesus is saying, look, if Satan is casting out his own demons, then the demonic world is divided against itself. Use your head. Now, here in verse 19, Jesus says, 
If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Let me just paraphrase what Jesus just said here. If Satan's the one empowering me, who's empowering your religious leaders, your sons, when they cast out demons? Jesus then moves here to land a a final blow on, on their rather ridiculous logic. He says here in verse 20, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is come upon you. Again, paraphrasing Jesus, he's saying, If Satan's kingdom is powerless against me, isn't it obvious that I am the king of a greater kingdom and that my kingdom is empowered by the finger or the power of God? Now, these religious leaders would immediately understand this allusion goes back to Exodus chapter 8. Back in Exodus chapter 8, Pharaoh's magicians finally yield to the supremacy of the God of Moses, and they tell Pharaoh in verse 19, this is the finger of God. Jesus makes one one further allusion here in Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, when he talks about the strong man, who is Satan, and the stronger man, who is Jesus. And that, that illustrates the fatal flaw in his critics' logic. Jesus is effectively saying, look, I am the physical, tangible incarnation of the finger of God. And because of who I am and the superior power of my kingdom Isn't it time you decided whether you are my follower or not? See, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to draw a line in the sand, and you need to make a decision. And here's the direct challenge now here in verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Satan is scattering and destroying. Jesus is gathering and building. So whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? You've got to choose. Warren Wearsby writes it this way, that we must make a choice. And if we choose to make no choice, we are really choosing against him. See, there's no such thing as neutrality in true Christianity. You can't sit on the fence here. Neutrality is unbelief. You can't take Jesus as your example, but not uh, your leader. You can't take him as your savior, but not your sovereign. See, I believe that's why Jesus goes on here to distinguish between uh, moral reformation and true spiritual regeneration. I'm looking now at verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Well, the point Jesus is making here is that moral reformation without genuine spiritual regeneration is worthless in combating the the kingdom of darkness. 
Here's somebody Jesus describes as morally upright. He's, he's swept out the most obvious sins, so to speak. He's, maybe he's turned over a new leaf in life. Maybe he started going to church or whatever. But that vacuum spiritually still exists. But he's deceived by his own sense of morality and spirituality. This only opens the door to allow even more evil to sweep in to lead him even farther and farther from the kingdom of light and right into the clutches of the kingdom of darkness. See, it is not enough to empty out what's wrong. We need to be filled with everything that is right, one author put it, as we follow Jesus. Now, immediately after saying this, there's another response from the crowd, and, and this one is, is closer to the truth, but it still misses the point. Verse 27, and as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Well, this is, this is actually a compliment. In fact, it was common in these days, both in Roman culture and Jewish culture, to, to praise somebody by congratulating their mother. So she's saying to Jesus, your mother was so blessed to have a son like you. (laughs) I can't help but think that's something my my mother never heard when I was growing up. How about yours? Well, Jesus, he doesn't rebuke her here. He doesn't scold her for, for this kind compliment. But he does tell her that she's missing the point. He says to her here in verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The original language would read more like, yes, that's true, but blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. See, Jesus, he doesn't want to be complimented. Jesus doesn't care to be admired. He doesn't need to be applauded. He's he's demanding worship and obedience to his word. And in these events, Jesus is revealing the power of his word. His word frees the demonized man. His word overpowers the kingdom of Satan. His word fills the void, the emptiness of our souls. And and it's his word, like a line, by the way, that's drawn in the sand. His word invites you to cross over it and follow him into the kingdom of heaven and leave behind the kingdom of darkness. Make your decision to follow Jesus now. A research project I read about at Columbia University from a few years ago found that the average person consciously makes around 70 decisions a day. That's everything from what to wear to what to eat for lunch. That adds up to right around 25,000 decisions a year. And over an average lifetime of 75 to 80 years, a person's going to make some 2 million decisions. But let me tell you, Of those two million decisions you're going to make, if you live that long, none of them will ever be as important as your decision to claim Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. I made that decision myself when I was 17 years old. I decided whose side I was on. What about you today? Whose side are you on? And let me tell you, a hundred years from now, you will be forever grateful that you made the decision to be on God's side. You made a decision to follow Jesus. 
Well, until our next wisdom journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. This is The Wisdom Journey, and Stephen called this lesson, Whose Side Are You On? Stephen has many resources to help you know what the Bible says, understand what it means, and apply it to your life. One of those resources is an app for your smartphone. The Wisdom International app contains Stephen's entire Bible teaching library. You can access his full-length sermons, access this wisdom journey, read the daily devotional, and much more. You'll find the Wisdom International app in the Google Play and the iTunes Store. Once you get to the store for your device, what you'll want to search for is Wisdom International. Install that app today. Then join us next time to continue the wisdom journey.